Hello and welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you from the Centre for Appearance Research at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Abby. And I'm Nadia. And on this episode, we're doing a deep dive into self-objectification among girls with Dr. Elizabeth Daniels. Yes, I'm really excited about this topic and I'm not sure that we've discussed it in too much detail on the podcast before. Right, we've definitely touched on objectification theory on several episodes over the years, but I'm so glad we've got a dedicated episode to learn more about how objectification theory and self-objectification applies to girls in particular. Yes, this is such an important topic, especially in relation to girls and women. And as we'll find out, it can have a really big and also a really negative impact. Anyway, before we get started, let's introduce this episode's guest. Great. So Dr. Elizabeth Daniels, or Beth, is an associate professor in psychology at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. She's a developmental psychologist and has been researching body image for almost 20 years. One of her particular research interests is body image and self-objectification among adolescents and young adults. So you can see how clearly her interests line up with our work here at CAR. That's right. Beth actually came all the way to visit us during one of our centre's weekly meetings a few months ago now, where she told us all about all of her amazing work. And we immediately thought that she'd be an incredible guest for the pod to share some of her insights. I had the pleasure of speaking with Beth recently over Zoom, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear the conversation and more about Beth's work. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's hear from Beth. So hi, Beth. It's great to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much. So today we're going to be chatting about just some of your work on body image and self-objectification, focusing on self-objectification within young girls. So to start, please could you define what we mean by self-objectification and perhaps give a simple overview of objectification theory for anyone who might not be familiar? Absolutely. So interestingly, two different research teams came up with um, concepts related to objectification at the same time, but independently. Um, So I'll provide a little bit of background on both of those. So Fredrickson and Roberts put forward objectification theory in the late 90s. And this theory proposed that many Western societies uh, prioritize women's appearance as their central value. And so this is above other aspects of their humanity, including their interests and their talents and so forth. And that's related to a pervasive cultural um, prioritization on appearance. And as a result, girls and women can internalize that cultural focus on appearance and begin to self-objectify, as they explained. And so that process is related to a lot of psychological outcomes. Um, As I mentioned, another team came up with a very similar concept called objectified body consciousness, and this was McKinley and Hyde. And they proposed different components of objectified body consciousness, including self-surveillance, which is monitoring the body and um, critiquing it for compliance with cultural beauty standards. Another aspect of objectified body consciousness is feeling shame that your body doesn't meet those cultural standards. 
So that's sort of an overview. Um, they are very related ideas, objectified body consciousness and self-objectification. Um, and so that's a bit of an overview. Thank you, Beth. That's a really great overview. I was just wondering if you might be able to explain how this might relate to adolescent girls. Absolutely. So objectification theory specifically um, proposed that as girls' bodies physically mature, um, and in particular as they hit puberty, that they will become subject to more cultural pressure on their physical attractiveness, and specifically through the male gaze. So as a result of that, they would at that point begin to self-objectify and begin to monitor their bodies, um, again, for compliance with cultural beauty standards. Okay, so it's sort of when they're hitting adolescence, it's this pressure is being put on them, and that's when this is sort of emerging. Is that right? That's what objectification theory proposed. Um, so in that theory was put forward in the, in the late 1990s. And so we've had a lot of research um, since that theory was proposed. And it's clear that girls have body image concerns prior to um, hitting puberty. So this is broader than just self-objectification. Um, there's very little research overall on girls in terms of self-objectification. Um, my colleagues and I have reviewed that literature in a paper uh, we published in 2020, and there is some preliminary evidence that girls um, quite early in development, so five- to seven-year-old girls, um, unfortunately, show evidence of self-objectification. Definitely. I mean, I know there's quite a lot of research here at CAR that has shown that girls very young, even as young as sort of four or five, can start to be concerned about their body image. But it's really interesting to see the link and maybe the differences between body image concerns and actual self-objectification. So I know some of your work centres around the trajectory of self-objectification across adolescence and also into young adulthood. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that, please. Yeah, so what we know from the existing research that includes a small number of longitudinal studies that are um, often short term. Uh, so none of them, for instance, follow girls from ages four or five through um, young adulthood. So but we do have some of those short term longitudinal studies as well as many more cross-sectional studies. Um, so my colleagues and I have sort of extracted statistically uh, information about self-objectification at different ages. And we found that there's a linear increase in self-objectification across adolescence. So girls uh, who are later teens show higher levels of self-objectification uh, as compared to younger girls. Um, and we think that's pretty important uh, to have a sense of that trajectory so we know when interventions uh, might be particularly appropriate and useful to disrupt self-objectification processes. That's really interesting. I guess it's um, perhaps as girls are more sexualized as they're going across the adolescence period? I'm just, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm just wondering um, if 
you say so you said it goes up across adolescence is there a time when it starts to come down that is an excellent question um and so there is some indication that older women and so this is some research that has been done quite a while ago now but it looked at college women university women and their mothers uh so middle-aged women as compared to their um young adult daughters and so comparing those two groups, it was the younger women who have higher self-objectification. Um, but it's interesting to think about more broadly how body image concerns change across development. Um, we do see, depending on exactly what kind of variable we're, we're looking at, that there tends to be somewhat of a reduction in body image concerns um, in middle age and into later adulthood. Um, but the body still remains very salient for women. And so it's not the case that these issues just kind of disappear at midlife. Thank you. Sorry for sort of putting you on the spot there. <laughs> oh, you're fine. That's, that's really interesting, though. Um, I guess another thing I'm thinking about when you're saying that study with the mothers and the their daughters, um, I wonder if you have any thoughts about whether there might be cultural changes obviously they've grown up in different times I don't know if you think things are getting better getting worse or if they're not changing I don't know if you have any thoughts about that yeah you would hope that there would be change right because yeah increasingly young women are obtaining college degrees at high rates or working um, at high rates and their social roles have changed um, comparatively and so you would hope that that might suggest that appearance may be less important um, because women are just engaged in all these different domains in society. Um, but unfortunately, I don't see that happening. Um, we, we really don't notice, for instance, a dip in body image concerns in younger women, um, late teens or, or young adult women. Um, and so, you know, as social roles have changed, we've also seen increasing uh, body image pressures through social media, for instance. And so it's complicated. Um, I don't think it's just cohort differences that that may shift um, over time because life becomes more complex in other ways, too. Sure. I guess it's like a balancing act. Some things that may be causing it to get better. And then we've got a massive surge of, you know, social media and things that make things worse as well. Um, I will say that, that also a fundamental, you know, kind of mechanism around objectification is patriarchy. And until we have a significant shift in patriarchy, I'm not sure we're going to see significant shifts in the prevalence of self-objectification. Um, but that's a, a bit of an unfortunate um, prediction on my part. But I, I think that's important until we get to a more egalitarian social system in which women are valued for their entire humanity, not just their appearance. I'm not sure how much we'll see self-objectification decline. Absolutely. And that's obviously heartbreaking, but it makes complete sense that things won't change until you know, there's much bigger systems in play that are causing this. But, yeah, I hope that we can work towards it. I was wondering if there were any wider impacts of self-objectification on 
young girls, so the population that you're working with? So I've been very interested in that question for some time, um, specifically because when we think about self-objectification or really any body image concern, a lot of our attention has been focused as researchers on the psychological distress that's involved. And that's, of course, incredibly important. We don't want girls and women to be experiencing distress routinely related to their appearance. But we also need to think about what are some broader impacts of that distress. And so in a study I conducted with my colleague Rachel Robnett, we were interested in whether social media behaviors predict body image concerns. And in this case, we examined self-objectification um, and specifically body surveillance and body shame and how those um, body image attitudes might be related to attitudes towards uh, academic attitudes towards science and math. And so our prediction was that girls who are more highly engaged in appearance-focused behaviors on social media, so things like tagging themselves in photos and posting selfies and, and things like that, um, they would report higher body surveillance and body shame, which we expected would in turn be related to more negative attitudes towards STEM subjects um, and engagement in STEM activities. And so we found some support for our predictions. Um, specifically, we found that those girls who are higher in appearance-focused social media behaviors reported higher body shame. And that, in turn, was related to feeling like they weren't going to be successful in science and math specifically, and that those subjects um, had higher costs for them. And so that pattern um, we find concerning because girls are much less likely than boys to um, take science and math across uh, high school and math and into the university levels. And then we see STEM as um, we see far fewer women involved in STEM fields. So science, technology, engineering, and math. And so we speculate that these body image concerns are an under examined issue that may be related to this pattern of, of girls kind of um, selecting out of these um, fields, which are, you know, important to society, of course, but they're also higher paying fields uh, than many others that we see girls and women being more interested in and going into, such as, for instance, K-12 uh, education. Thank you, Beth. That's really interesting. I think it's so important to think about these wider impacts. Obviously, the even the sort of isolated impact that self-objectification has on young women um, is sort of bad enough. But I think without even thinking about these extra things and sort of knock-on effect that it can have. Um, you mentioned that they, did you, I might have heard you wrong. Did you say they perceive more costs with STEM subjects? Is that right? 
Yeah, so it's the the girls who are involved in the uh, parents-focused social media behaviors at higher rates who then um, report more body shame that, yes, they perceive higher costs to um, being involved in science and math. So if you think about the effort that goes into doing math and science homework, for example, um, those girls basically feel like that cost is too high. That's taking them away from other things that um, they are more readily interested in. I wonder why that is. Yeah, so objectification theory gives us some insights actually into what's happening here. And so we have a fair amount of, of library or sorry, laboratory evidence that also supports um, what objectification theory proposed, which is that when the body is very salient, right? So when um, somebody, a girl is experiencing uh, self-objectification, that's essentially taking the attentional resources uh, to focus on the body. And in our findings, it was body shame that was particularly um, powerful. And shame is a is a powerful emotion um, that shifts the focus to the self. So when I'm feeling ashamed, I'm I'm sort of focused on my own self. And so then I have fewer um, attentional resources to dedicate outside. And so that's probably the, the mechanism here, such that I'm on social media, I'm engaged in these appearance activities, my body shame is high because I'm not meeting some appearance expectations, idealized cultural beauty standards, and that's taking my attention up. And so then I have less capacity to consider um, my academic subjects, including math and science. And so the costs of investing my my energy there um, is higher for those girls. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, that makes sense. I was sort of wondering like where that was coming from. Um, but yeah, thank you. That really helps um, me to understand. So thank you for taking us through all this research it's obviously such a really important area and it's really interesting to see again the wider impact I was wondering though if you have any research and I think you might do um, if there's anything that can sort of be done any interventions or anything like that to support girls to resist this self-objectification yeah that's a great question I think there are lots of teams around the world right now trying to do just that figure out how do we mitigate these impacts. Um, And some of the research I've done with Tomi and Roberts, uh, we tested a pretty easy, short-term, cost-free intervention that included having girls who, in this case, they were dancers. Um, They took a three-day social media fast in which they abstained from engaging in social media. And at the same time, they still stayed connected to peers through a messaging app. Uh, So we didn't want them to feel kind of isolated and cut off from people uh, because peers in particular are um, incredibly important during adolescence. So we kept them connected to other girls during this experiment 
um, but they got off social media. And just within a three-day period, we saw drops in body surveillance as well as body shame. And this was with girls who were 13 to 18 years old. Um, And so we were surprised, frankly, that just a short-term break could um, result in this sort of relief from self-objectification. And so it seems that removing the gaze um, via social media for a short period of time allows girls to recover, at least temporarily. So this was a short-term study, so we don't know how lasting the effects were, Um, but at least a temporary relief from self-objectification. And we also collected um, open-ended data where the girls were connecting with each other on a messaging app. And so they were sharing what their experiences were of the fast with each other. And we found that they were reporting what we would call embodiment, um, positive body image. So they were reporting things like having more positive mental states. So for example, that they felt calmer, that their anxiety was lower, that they felt more centered. And there were a number of other positives that they reported, um, including being present. So they observed that not being on my phone meant I could pay attention uh, to what I was doing, and that might be listening to music at a concert or connecting with people in their lives. Um, So over lunch, actually paying attention to the people they were eating with, for example. And so there were a range of positive um, responses that the girls reported to each other that we thought was really powerful. Um, So it's as if they were freed up by being off of social media to experience themselves and their bodies more positively. So again, this is a short-term cost-free intervention. Um, And I don't want to idealize, you know, most of the girls who participated said something to the effect of, I'm not going off of social media full scale, but this was really useful and I might want to do this again. So we think that this can be something that coaches, um, youth activity leaders could implement with groups of kids um, that would be relatively easy to do and might be quite beneficial for their psychological well-being and for their body image. That was definitely going to be my next question was how you would sort of see this being implemented. It's obviously sounds like you've got really positive effects from something, again, that's just free, really easy they can do themselves um, and quickly as well. Um, I guess what I was sort of thinking was that it sounds like these girls that took part in your study have sort of realised how positive that was for them. But maybe if you hadn't taken part in that study and you hadn't had a social media break before, you wouldn't really know that these positive effects could happen. Um, So I think it's really interesting to think about how we might sort of encourage that and how we get that sort of first social media fast in 
Um, and then I guess in the future, it's about getting girls to sort of realise when they need it. I think that can be quite something that's quite hard as well, can't it? Um, Realising yeah. when you do actually need a break from social media. Yeah, I think those are great points because, of course, in this study, um, girls were volunteering to participate. So that, you know, sort of willingness might be quite different from other girls who are like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to give up this um, activity. And so, you know, we don't know um, how to, to how girls who might be more resistant to giving up social media, what their experiences might be. And more broadly, I think your point is, is really important about girls being able to uh, self-monitor and realize that, hey, this might be the time when I need to step away from social media. And um, so, yeah, that I think that's a very compelling point um, and one that probably would be more difficult to study uh, experimentally, but would be pretty important. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I only say from my own experience because I find it very difficult to notice when things like that are you know, affecting you. Um, so it must be much harder for younger girls and also girls that have grown up completely surrounded by social media as well. It's a different, different way of growing up now to the way that the rest of us grew up, isn't it? Absolutely. And when we think about girls, adolescent girls, we also have to consider their cognitive capacities are quite different than adults. And so to be able to self-reflect and make a plan for how to feel better. Um, that's asking a lot, especially of early teen girls. Um, and so, you know, really when we think about something like the social media fast, scaffolding it through activities that girls are participating in, whether it's their dance class or art or sport, might be the most um, realistic way to implement something like a short-term fast. And do you have any plans for your next sort of research project in this area that you can share? Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, social media research um, and self-objectification is booming, um, which is fantastic. There are more and more people, um, and I suspect part of it is that younger researchers have come up during social media um, as a big part of their their childhood and adolescence. Um, so in my own research, I'm quite interested in looking at how girls from diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds are using social media in ways that address their specific body image concerns. Um, so are they using filters um, and different editing techniques in particular ways? And I think that we know very little about this. And it's important to get that sort of basic understanding so then we can move towards interventions and educational efforts. Because um, right now we're lacking that level of sophistication in terms of which groups of girls are engaged in which behaviors which may have more consequential impacts on their well-being. Amazing. Well, that sounds completely fascinating, and I can't wait to hear about it when you get round to it. <laughs> 
So um, I was just wondering if there's anything else that you think we've missed today or anything else that you want to share about um, self-objectification? Well, I think when when we think about self-objectification in girls, adolescent girls, we really want to think broadly about developmental changes that happen during adolescence. So for instance, pubertal development, being an early developer in general for girls is related to poor body image. And so we could expect that self-objectification would be implicated in that as well. But we have very little research. Um, in the, the paper that I published just two years ago, we only had three studies and they were done in different countries with different results. <laughs> and so it's difficult to, to know then, you know, what is the role of pubertal development? Um, and I mentioned that as an example, but there's a range of other developmental issues that need to be examined. Cognitive processes would be another one. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done to understand this phenomenon within younger samples. Much of our research attention has focused on adult women. So just lots more research, basically. That's what we need. It's always the answer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So before I can let you go, I think you know what's coming. So to our listeners, Beth has actually come down to one of our meetings before um, a couple of months ago. So Beth knows all about our car weekly coffee and cake. Um, so Beth, I was wondering if I might be able to ask you what sort of cake or sweet treat or doesn't have to be sweet even it could be a savory treat anything that you would bring to our meeting when you next come <laughs> well I will say the ginger cake I had at car was outstanding and I definitely went back for seconds. Um, oh, who was who made the ginger cake? I don't remember. Amy Slater made it. It was Amy made fantastic. the ginger cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember it being good. I just can't remember who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, I don't really have much of a sweet tooth kind of across the spectrum of of sweets, but I am an absolute chocolate focused person. So it would be a chocolate cake, probably with a chocolate drizzle frosting as well, just all in on the chocolate. You and me both, Beth. I absolutely love chocolate as well. I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds amazing. So yeah, you'll definitely have to bring that next time you come across. That sounds like a deal. <laughs> you have to try and pack it in your suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Beth. It's been so great to chat to you and hear about all your research. It's so fascinating. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy to hear it as well. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you today. That was such an interesting conversation. I really enjoyed listening to that. I think the the line that's really stuck in my head is um, what you're saying about patriarchy and self-objectification. So and I've written it down. So a fundamental mechanism around objectification is patriarchy and until we have a significant shift in patriarchy I'm not sure we're going to see significant shifts in the prevalence of self-objectification so that's what I'm left thinking about after after that conversation how about you definitely I think perhaps that's not the thing that we want to hear because that's a very difficult thing to do and I don't think we're probably gonna come across that anytime soon but you know that's what we're working towards isn't it 
Um, but yeah, it was so great to speak with Beth and it's such a pleasure to have her on the podcast. I also really love the social media fast that she talked about mm-hmm. and how effective that was, especially when it's such a quick and easy thing and you can sort of self-administer it as well. So you don't need any resources for it at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so it's so unusual to find solutions that don't cost any money or time and resources. It just requires what is it like discipline I suppose yeah yeah I know being really strict with yourself um it requires you to actually know that that's what you need as well yeah being very self-aware yeah definitely which Mm. is difficult sometimes (laughs) yep sure is (laughs) so the papers Beth talked about today will be in our show notes so be sure to have a look at those if there's any you're interested in finding out more from or reading more great we hope you enjoyed this episode of appearance matters the podcast please remember to share subscribe like and review it helps other people find the podcast and it gives us a little boost it really does and remember you can keep up to date with the center for appearance Research's work on facebook twitter and instagram all the links can be found in the bio until next time bye, bye.